is once again time for Unprofessional. I am once again Lex Friedman, and with me once again is Dave Whiskus. Hi, Dave. Hi, you said once again. Were you not for a while? Were you not Lex Friedman? There was a time when I wasn't Lex Friedman. At that time, I was Alexander Friedman. You were not yourself. Those were the days. But yeah, when, when did you drop uh, Alexander? Well, the truth is, uh, I, I was mostly lying. I, I mean, my, my legal name is Alexander, but my parents called me Lex from the very first day. But that voice, who is that man? That man you just heard is Nicholas Gerwich. Nicholas, did I get the name right this time? Yep. Awesome. That means I'm two I, for two. Yeah, you've gotten it right both times. I don't want anybody to think that you asked that question because you screwed up the first time. I just, I feel like I'm going to screw up. Gerwich is, you know, that's, that's a lot of letters packed in there. Yeah, a few of them shouldn't even be there. <laughs> But so, uh, <laughs> Nick, tell the tell the unprofessional people who you are. What do they know you from? Um, they probably, if they know me from something, know me from work that I've done online. I do a comic strip that's somewhat popular called the Perry Bible Fellowship. Somewhat popular. I, I uh, Dave Whiskus is in love with it. I have a, a couple of books here, even. <laughs> oh, cool! Thanks for buying both. Will will you sign them over the internet? <laughs> over, the, over the internet, um, it's actually becoming a possibility recently. <laughs> Wait, really? How would that I even feel work? like it. I've been signing contracts online lately. I used That's true. Um, I used Adobe Photoshop to sign a contract the other day, and it really occurred to me like how much we're in the future that I can do that, and it actually matters to someone. Like, how the- in the world is that significant? I get that for a contract, but isn't the thing about signing a book or a comic book or a, a CD or something, isn't it about not just having that person's signature, but they held it in their hand? You could say that about a contract 20 years ago. I bet I in, in another 20 years, I think people will be fine with it. But that's, I don't know, that's like a legal significance versus a personal emotional significance. I mean, I hope it, I hope it maintains. I hope people maintain uh, emotional significance as we proceed through the centuries. But all signs point to no. We're just going to become like, machines. Well, yeah, and like Kindles will probably have some kind of digital imprint uh, emailed to them from me to uh, fill the owners with certain satisfaction i don't know i kind of like what you're thinking though because to me it's not so depressing because i always think it's weird when people want autographs i mean i have very few times in my life given autographs i've autographed a couple copies of my book and you know when uh, i've i've gotten a couple autographs when i was you know in junior high school but I don't know if I 100% get the appeal because for me, what I want is I want a moment where I can, you know, tell the person whose work product art that I like, Hey, I like you and you're the best. Yeah. You don't, you don't travel the world to get passport stamps. Those are just the things that you can show later. So if we move forward and it's like, Hey, I love your Kindle book, Stephen King, sign it. I don't want him to sign my Kindle. I want him to shoot me an email that says, I acknowledge your existence, Lex Friedman. Love Stephen King, but it has to be like manually typed. Yeah, maybe that that'll be fine. I'm, I'm I sure people a, will find a way to make it work. I worked on a, an app for comic books a couple of years ago, and the guys who ran the company were talking about how they wanted to build in this feature where, when you were at a comic book convention, the comic books that you had downloaded, you could open up a thing, and the artist or the the, the writer of that comic could, with their finger, just write their signature, and it would save onto the page and. I, it it just struck me as 
I don't think that the sort of person who collects comic books and would go around to conventions and collect signatures would buy into that. It feels like it's it's too easy a thing to fake. It's too easy an experience to fake because it really is about the experience, not the thing that that you have. I think that's right. I th- although it's worth noting that Nick, you sell signed prints online, and everybody should go buy them. <laughs> I for some reason I haven't done the intelligent thing, which is to move to have someone else do that because I do like to sign them. I like to. I don't know. I like to have something personal going on. And I think that's cool. I think the the fact that your heart's in it is a good thing. When you think about like a a sports star signing 1,000 things to sell at some premium rate, I feel like that's weird. Like they're not thinking about the person who's getting it. They're just signing a whole bunch of things in a row. And really just you've your biggest, his biggest memory of that signing will be like the hand cramp that he developed. Oh man. I was at, um, for that comic book thing, I was at uh, San Diego comic con a couple years ago. And as I'm walking around the floor, I see there's a booth where you can go up and you can meet Peter Mayhew, Chewbacca. Oh, wow. And, and I'm like, and there's no line. He was just kind of, he was just setting up. So I thought I'd go up and say hi, because this would be an opportunity to not have to wait in line to say hi to the guy. So I go up and I say hello. And uh, I, I figure since I'm there and I'm having a conversation with the guy, I should buy his, you know, his photo or whatever and have him sign it. And so I buy one of the pictures. And then the lady that's there with him explains that the, the photo and the signature are two separate costs. <laughs> oh, weird. Like it was... It was like twenty or fifteen or twenty or something for the the photo, and then another twenty to have him sign it. Would he sign anything that wasn't the photo? I I don't I didn't ask I didn't ask because at that point I had already kind of bought into I was getting the photo. And I'm like I, it just kind of soured the experience that he was charging me for the signature. Like charge me twice as much for the photo and give me the signature for free, and I'd be way happier about the whole. Uh, thing. See, I, I don't much, know. I would take like I would put like an apple on my head and have him shoot it with a crossbow. Before I'd, ask him, <laughs> before I'd ask him for an autograph. For some reason, I just don't find autographs that appealing at Comic-Con. I guess because they're in such plentitude. It's, it's so assembly line. He doesn't even do the voice, right? <laughs> right, right. I want the autograph of the guy who does the voice. I want him on my voicemail. Like, you called Lex. <laughs> like, that's what I want. It's not like a guy who does the voice. It's like a combination of whale and lion sounds or something. Yeah, if anyone gets credit for it, I think it's um, Bert, um, uh, Ben Burt, designer guy. Ben Burt, yeah. The the best part of that whole story is uh, I had to pay with a credit card, and they swipe it to the little machine. They hand me the the slip and a pen, and they ask me to sign it. And I was so tempted, so tempted to say, "Yeah, twenty bucks." But did you? No, no, I didn't want to be a dick to Chewbacca. Yeah, do not make that mistake. Yeah. Many people before you have. And they've lost their arms. Yeah. I've, I still have that signed photo, and uh, I haven't hung it up. It just kind of sits on my desk, and I kind of look at it every so often and think to myself, maybe not everyone you look up to is, uh, is, is out for anything more than themselves. If I go back to Comic-Con, I want to see if they'd let me have a fruit stand. <laughs> just because the food there is so terrible, and there's nothing I would like more than to share good food with people. I find that place so short on anything that matters. To be able to dabble in the commerce of food would be such a treat to me. <laughs> I don't know. Having read Perry Bible Fellowship, I think that walking up to uh, a stand where you're giving away fruit or selling fruit might freak me out a little bit. Maybe I'll draw on fruit and then people can have the option of eating it or not. That's, you have to do something so it can't rot. But I would keep like an apple you had drawn something on. I would, I would buy for that a little while, even right. forever. I mean, if, if I were starving, I would probably eat it. 
That's there's something there's something cool about that. I might actually do this. This is I I don't know. This is kind of a good idea. I almost like the idea better of because the the signature is just a signature. I guess that's the thing that you show up later. I'm more interested in experience. If there were an edible marker, an edible ink or something, you could use to like write a message on an apple, and then I could eat that apple. That's um maybe that's borderline creepy. But yeah, no, it's an experience. That's, that's what people want. People I, want yes. stuff like that. Like there, and what better way to underline experience than to put you know, a uh, limitation on it. You know, this food's going to rot. Right. I want to eat and digest the works of Nicholas Gerwich. That's, I mean, that to me is cool. Yeah. You don't, you don't get to like turn around and sell this signature on eBay. You eat it. Right. It's yours. It will not last forever. And you've got to maximize your enjoyment of it when you can. It has to occupy your memory, which would be, that would be a great message for the kids. At worst, you could still take a picture of the fruit. And I probably would, but I would eat it. At worst, at best. That's, that's, like a, that's an extra bonus that you get to photograph it. I'm, I think I'm with you on this. And, you know, the photograph brings in another point on this whole thing. And I'm guilty of this as anyone else, but there's always that moment when you are meeting some celebrity or famous person where a lot of the time, especially now that everybody's got smartphones, you want to get the picture. And I... I'm always curious about that. It's basically, I am documenting the fact that I met you, you know, uh, famous person X doesn't care that he met me, <laughs> but <laughs> I want photographic evidence of the fact that I met him. And I always think that's so funny in retrospect. It's such a weird thing. Like, look, I totally met this person, but I already know I was there. I don't exactly know what the photo is documenting. It's there. So you can show it off later. One of the saddest things in the world to me is looking at someone's photograph with a celebrity and like looking at the celebrity's eyes and realizing <laughs> that this is the 400th time they've done this. I find that like almost on par with like the sadness of the displacement of Native Americans. There's, just something, so, <laughs> there's something so acutely profound about the sadness of the fact that they're treating it like it's their first time doing it for you, but their eyes can't hide it. I saw um, a Michael Ian Black photo the other day where um, he had his photo taken with a, with a pretty girl. And um, I'm sure it was a nice experience for him, but there was nothing in his eyes that could hide the fact that uh, he was probably a little bit bored. Oh, I, I have taken a picture with Michael Ian Black, and there was nothing in the moment or the photo <laughs> to indicate that he was anything other than bored. I mean, he was super nice. He was actually I mean, extremely yeah, nice. I mean, it's terrific, and I think that accounts for some of the sadness of this, is that every, they do everything in their power to you know, be very nice about it. Right, because I mean, he knows if he says... No. No, that you're going to say forever that Michael Ian Black is a dick. And, and to, you know, in your world of friends and Facebook, he is a dick for, right. for eternity to those people. Oh, yeah, totally. And uh, to do otherwise is, you know, he's doing his job, but you take a close look at those eyebrows, man, and you can just see, <laughs> you can just see the truth. I have a policy when meeting famous people or famous-ish people that I, I don't like to do the, the fake photo thing. And so I'll ask them, can we, if we're going to do a fake photo, let's like stage as if we're in the middle of a fight or if we're in the middle of like an intense discussion or we're about to kiss or like, let's make it, let's, if we're going to be acting, let's really act. And uh, like I got photo a, a photo of uh, me and uh, Ezra from uh, Vampire Weekend, as if we're about to get into a fist fight. And you look at the photo, and it's you know, clearly a staged photo. But we both look like we're kind of having fun with it. Because somebody who does get their photo taken a hundred times every time they meet people, 
having something new or, or different, it's, it's a more interesting experience. And I feel like if I'm going to impose upon them, let me take my photo with you. The, the least I can do is try to make it an interesting experience. You're a part of the solution. That sounds great. When, when I meet beautiful actresses, I'm always like, let's take a scene where we just started making out. And that's the photo. Uh, and they always say no, which is, I think is weird. Like they don't get it. I, I would get it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a promise. It's just, so one day I think what I'm hearing from this Nicholas is that one day you and I are going to make out and I'm, I'm cool with that. I would prefer it to a, a phony photo. Yeah. It doesn't need to be photographed. This, this could be a memory. That's just, that's just the it's two it's more about the memory. That's right. Okay. Maybe now, we can eat fruit together. Here's one thing that I think is interesting. I'm shifting gears now because this has been on my mind since we first connected on this conversation before we even started recording. You're a man who, who has a, a, a popular and beloved website and a website clearly being a technical thing. But when we were asking you about your, your phone before we started, <laughs> you, said, you said, should I, should I turn off my phone? I said, you can just turn the, the sound off. You can mute it. And he said, I have no idea what it is. I'm just going to turn it off. And then Dave says, well, what kind of phone is it? And you said, I don't know, AT&T. <laughs> no, no, no. His response was, I said, what kind of phone is it? And he goes, uh, a cell phone. <laughs> yes. But, but the eventual answer was, was AT&T. And that, to me, suggests that you don't, at least in terms of, of phones, I don't even want to say smartphones because I don't know if this is or isn't one, but that you don't consider yourself technically savvy in that department. Is that right? Um, if there are any people who work at AT&T listening to this podcast, they might be a little offended by that insinuation. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Um, I think they're a dependable service provider. <laughs> and that's an unsponsored message, by the way. Do you have, do you have a, a deal with them or something? <laughs> I do. I'm getting a, a few K on the side. Nice. But so I just, I'm, I, I don't, you are the first person I've spoken to in a long time who can't identify by name what model phone they have. And I think that's very interesting. I think I did, didn't I? AT&T? See, AT&T's just the carrier. Like, I have an AT&T iPhone, and you might have an AT&T Droid or something. Like, I, I'm not saying that this is a, a flaw on your part. I, don't get me wrong. I just think it's interesting. I'm actually kind of impressed by it. Right. Okay, that's what I'm going for. I've been fighting, I've been fighting getting one for several years. A cell phone? Yeah. Just Wait, I, this is I, your first cell phone ever? It's my first cell phone ever. And, uh, yeah, I'm very proud of that fact. Wow. That I was able to abstain so long, but um, it actually hasn't changed my life that much because I, I um, I'm pretty good about making sure it's you know not in the room with me when I'm sleeping and it's not in my pocket when I'm doing anything important. So why didn't you want one? Because there's there's this idea that if I get one, I start using it. I'll have to use it more often, and I just don't like the way my brain works when it is sensing an impending responsibility and I'm the kind of person that um, people would argue this but I'm the kind of person that very much beckons to what people need and if someone is calling me I'm probably going to spend my day making sure that I'm doing what they need me to do whereas if I don't have that I can uh, I can get things done that are uh, more important to me I don't remember the last time somebody called me on my cell phone <laughs> yeah is it primarily text now uh, text and, uh, Twitter and things like that. I, it, for me, it's like a little information device. I carry it around because I can check on things or I can get notifications about, um, 
you know, how well my stuff is selling or if people are talking about things that I make on the internet. I'm sure this has been said before, but you give it uh, 20, 30 years and that cell phone will be indistinguishable from a television and a computer. I don't, I don't think we even need that long. Yeah, it might just be five or ten. But it'll just be, it'll be everything. It'll be, um, it'll be an umbilical cord to anything you want and need. When I, when I see the world moving in that direction where we have like these umbilical cords like hooked up to, you know, systems that determine where we end up and what we do, I just get, I feel a protest inside me. I feel a hopeless reliance on technology. I went to uh, a nearby city about an hour away yesterday to meet a friend for lunch. And I used to live in this city. I lived there for years. But just to get there and figure out where I was going, I had to have my, my Maps app open the whole time. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. Some people might say that's you know, a beautiful miracle. I, I, I lean more that direction because I'm just not good with those sorts of things. And so I had to have a device that keeps me from being late or any more late than I would naturally be. It's better. There's nothing um, intrinsically bad about that scenario. I guess I have this paranoia that years and years, maybe even like evolutionarily speaking, this kind of behavior could change the way people think and retrieve information from their own brains. But is that bad? I mean, if the technology is keeping pace or even outpacing us, uh, what's wrong with leaning more on that to, to augment the way we think or the way we access information to interact with each other? It's probably going to be good for a lot of people. I just don't think it'll be good for me, and it might not be great for my children. Or the Native Americans. Uh, there's probably like many um, demographics that will suffer, including poets and magicians. You know, anything uh, slightly ethereal is probably going to wither and die. What, you think it's, it's bad for magicians? Is that what you said? Yeah, that's an interesting one. Because I totally disagree. <laughs> I think I'm gonna I'm gonna fight you on this now. We will fight. Oh no, I'm with I'm with Nick. Go ahead, but I'm with Nick. I think uh, that magicians uh, um, adapt to it. I, magicians have the same sort of advantage that Weird Al Yankovic has. Weird Al Yankovic is always parodying whatever is currently popular, so he's always kind of he always has the right sound because he's parodying whatever the current sound is. Uh, magicians are going to work magic with whatever our current expectations and real life interactions are. Like, I love seeing cool tricks that involve stuff with an iPhone or an iPad, um, where even if the, if the iPad becomes part of the trick, I think that's super cool. I like it when I can take out my iPhone with its custom, I mean, I haven't done this with my own, but with its custom lock screen and it, clearly my phone and Penn and Teller can make it appear in the body of a dead fish. Like, I think that magicians adapt. I don't think they say, right. oh my gosh, look how much magic this phone can do. But I think they say, how can I, I got to stop you? Cause I, I think I did misspeak. I was actually referring to uh, less, um, I was not referring to illusionists. I was referring to, like, I guess, um, wizards. <laughs> yes, wizards will suffer. I'm with you. Huh. I'm, I'm 100% with you. Uh, the guy from Oz is screwed. Uh, warlocks. No, I think he was an illusionist. I think he had, like, a giant projector. You're right. That's true. The man behind the curtain? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, he, he, should, he should be in Vegas. But on the... So let's say illusionists for a second, because I, I want to argue with Lex. I think that it, it makes it 
worse because if everybody's got a chip in their brain where they're constantly accessing any information they could ever want while you're doing your trick or your illusion, they could look up how you do it or they could figure out how you do it. It takes the magic away. Well, I think that's true today too. I think that there are some people who go to a magic show and spend the whole time saying, here's what I think. I think that there's, I think that when the platform went up, he ducks under it and moves to the right. And there's people who watch a show like that. There's people who watch the show and just go, wow. I think even the people saying, wow, I would say the vast majority of them, at least the, the more intelligent ones of them know that they are being deceived. I think it's a very small sub. It's like, yes, David Copperfield can fly. Um, but I think that, you know, the people who are going to try to figure out the trick because they have the internet right inside of them, we're probably the same kind of people who these days are going to look at the trick and be like, I'm going to go home and try to Google that. And uh, those people don't deserve to enjoy the show. You, you, you choose your level of enjoyment. It's a choose your own adventure of living. If I want to enjoy the magic show, I'm going to just watch the magic show and be amazed. I'm in that first group, actually. I, I will watch it. And the whole time I'm just trying to figure out how it works. That's and if I you do. enjoy that, I think that's oh, totally fine. That's exactly what I do. Do you do that when you watch a movie, though? Or are you thinking, how did they, how did they do this or that? Yeah, yeah. And I'm thinking about uh, how, like, what was going through the writer's head when they were mapping out this plot, and can I try to project where the story is going to end up because of it? And my favorite stories are the ones that uh, I either forget that I like to do that and I get lost in the story, or uh, the, the writer will impress me or, or surprise me in some way. Yeah, it sounds like you just need a better illusionist to to like distract you from that, you know, very human practice. And for me, when I'm watching movies, even movies that I'm really enjoying and into, my brain has this thing where it spots uh, continuity errors, mm. and I can't, I really can't turn it off. I cannot mention it to my wife so that she won't hate me forever, <laughs> but they're, they're always occurring to me. And I think that's, I, I think it's a reflection, clearly a reflection on me and not really on the movies, but my brain is always, there's a piece of it that's on the lookout for that. And I don't know why. I even enjoy that stuff, even in movies that I really love. Like I like watching the, uh, the cinema sins videos where they go through the list of like everything wrong with dark Knight returns in six minutes or less. And they go through and they like point out all of these mistakes. And it's not because well, I guess with dark Knight returns, I hated that movie. So it, it, I do feel a bit of, uh, pride of being able to spot those things. But even with movies I really love, it's fun to see where things went wrong. Not wrong in a cosmic it ruins the experience sense, but just like these things are made by human beings. And sometimes it's nice to remember that. Speaking of things that it's nice to remember, Dave, let's take a quick break for a moment <laughs> and acknowledge this episode's fine, fine sponsors. That was one hell of a segue, sir. Thank you. Dave, two sponsors today. Who are they? Well, there's Leaf Hut Software, Ooh. but we're going to do oral first. Well, don't we always? <laughs> yeah. In this case, I mean aural, A-U-R-A-L dot F-M. Uh, you're going to go to A-U-R-A-L dot F-M slash unprofessional, oral, oral. It's, a, it's, a, it's, an, iPod, it's, a, it's an iPhone app for it listening is. to podcasts. So uh, the app is good looking. It's got beautiful typography. It's got a clean interface. It's just clutter-free. You'll look at it. You'll see there is no clutter in this puppy. Oh, I've looked. I've, I've downloaded it. I paid for it. I bought it. And you know that it is clutterless, I presume. It is free of clutter. You, can you, know, f- you know what it is also free of? What's that? It is free of promotional shots on the App Store that don't include Unprofessional. That's right. We are in their promotional photos, which we love. Heavily featured. So uh, they've got to focus on listening to your shows and checking the show notes without having to jump through various screens. Oral has smart playlists. You can easily check the most recent episodes of your podcast or just listen to the episodes you downloaded. If you're living on the edge and I, and uh, I am and you've already installed some kind of beta OS on your main device, no worries. Oral works just fine there. 
the app is under active development. It's not fly by night. It's not like, hey, we released it the one time and now we're never going to update it. They've already updated it a couple of times. I told them when they first sent me an early beta, I was like, you know, I really wish it had this feature and this feature. I said, I want a directory of podcasts and I want a variable playback speed rate. And uh, they added both of those things in the next version. Nailed it. Even better, they feature unprofessional in the directory. So we like that. Yep, love that. Um, they they also have um, the uh, the 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 player part of the app which plays the the show is in line it doesn't take you to like another crazy view right exactly big fan of that it's a simpler oral is a simpler and prettier podcast app just subscribe to your shows subscribe to your shows and listen to them so again the link is oral.fm slash unprofessional and it's a-u-r-a-l dot f-m slash unprofessional and here's the thing one other thing i didn't mention about the app but that was in their bullet points they believe in accessibility oral is fully accessible now if if you can come up with any transition or segue into our next sponsor Dave. well but before i do i just want to go on record as saying that i really really enjoy oral i think oral is great i've have you did you buy it for yourself have you gifted it to anybody have you given oral uh, I haven't yet given oral to anybody, but I will say they gave me oral before uh, before the official release. Uh, and then when it did release, I was overjoyed because I feel like everybody should be enjoying oral, and now they can. I'm a big fan. Giving and receiving. Huge fan. Oral.fm slash unprofessional. So speaking of accessibility. We, which as, we were. As, as you did a moment ago. Uh, our other sponsor this week is leaf hut software this is a company run by a friend of ours a friend of everyone's really charles perry said i just want to open up by saying this guy is awesome charles perry is awesome i met him the first time at a conference and he's awesome he's just an awesome dude i saw him give a talk on accessibility at second conf last year and he kind of blew the room away and mike drew was just sitting in the back just like mouth agape like wow this guy's nailing it and i think it was his first real conference talk ever the guy just knows his stuff about accessibility and we all know it's important to make the best software we can. It's, a be- it's important to make software that is accessible to those with physical disabilities. Um, some cases it's required by law, but also it's just good business. I mean, there's, there's profit to be made in this. There's over 285 million people in the world with vision loss alone. And people with disabilities wow. represent a huge market if you don't want your app to be uh, shut out. And I, I think that like uh, we've, we've worked with accessibility people to, to make our stuff accessible. Uh, my company. And there, there really is a big benefit. I've seen firsthand getting emails from people saying things like uh, the fact that I can use this and I can't use competing apps is a really big deal for me and talking about how it affects their lives. It's one, every one of those people represents another set of money, another, another person who's paid for the software, but also just know that your stuff is out there making a difference like that in the lives of people who uh, might not otherwise be able to use cool software is it's a really good feeling. Uh, LeafHut software has the experience you need to create great accessible apps. They can review your iOS app and provide a comprehensive report on how its accessibility can be improved for those with vision impairments, motor disabilities, and other physical disabilities. They can also help you implement their suggestions. To learn more about LeafHut software's accessibility services, visit leafhut.com slash unprofessional. What was that URL? It's leafhut.com slash unprofessional. They've got a got nice it. little landing page set up. You go there and you can see a little welcome message and the, they'll know that we sent you. So, and really two very cool sponsors and they, uh, <laughs> both of them, I would say have fun landing pages. If you go to oral.fm slash unprofessional, they have a special message for you too. That makes me laugh every time I see it. Genuinely a genuine laugh. Give me uh, the URL again. I'm going to type it in right now. It's oral.fm, A-U-R-I-L dot F-M. Slash a- unprofessional. A-U-R-I-L? 
A-U-R-A-L. I'm sorry. Okay. A-U-R-A-L slash unprofessional. Well, there's a dot FM in there too. You'll figure it sure, out. Sure, sure. But uh, they're both great. Uh, and seriously, if you are in the market for a new podcast listening app on iOS, worth checking out Oral. And uh, they made it accessible. And if you don't know how to make your own iOS app accessible, or if you want to make sure you're just doing it damn well, talk to Charles Perry. Go to leafussoftware.com slash unprofessional. Thank you both. Yeah, two really great sponsors this week. Yeah. Not like our usual Drek. Don't say that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We should get back to the show. We should. So we're back. (laughs) Now. So I want to. I have a new question for you, a new direction, and this mm-hmm. is based on my our research team, our crack research team's uh, background information on you, uh, which is Wikipedia, and <laughs> not the most accurate source. Besides your having a last name, that at least at first glance, I mean, I, I was successful with it, Gerwich. I can do it, but you were born in Canandaigua. How do you say the town in which you were born? It's not that hard. Canandaigua. Canandaigua. It looks a lot like Canada going into it, and then it ends with a daigua. Right. I guess that's where it gets confusing and misleading. But right. it's actually Iroquois for the chosen spot. Oh, so when you were talking about feeling sadness about Michael Ian Black's eyes in a photo as being even greater than the sadness you feel over not the Not greater, of- just of the same. Oh, at the same. Okay, magnitude. so on par with. You, you know what you're talking about. You are from Iroquois country. Yeah, it's uh, it's beautiful country, and um, yeah, a part of me dislikes the fact that roads have carved it up to say nothing of genocide. I rarely do. Of, I mean, I mean, of the two, <laughs> I would take roads over genocide <laughs> if I had to pick. Right. Um, I just, uh, yeah, I, I love the Iroquois tribes. Uh, the town that I live in in New Jersey is called Manalapan, and. Uh, it's spelled man a la pan, which I always like. But it is from, uh, it's, it's, it's a, a Native American word that means land of good bread or good land to settle upon. I always like to think that I'm settling upon good bread because I think that sounds more fun. It's also an anagram for an anal map. It's a good I point. don't know if that's true. <laughs> I can't imagine that would be too complicated. <laughs> just in. Wouldn't an anal map just be a single hole? Wouldn't, wouldn't it mostly be out? It absolutely is an anal map. Did you do that in your head? Or have you already calculated that? I, that would have been in my head. Is that right? Yeah. Holy shit. Guys, I realized a really impeccable anagram the other day. Um, there will be blood is robbed the oil well. Wow. That's awesome. Did you figure that out by hand or like I was just anagrams? perplexed by the title. I was like, why the heck is the title that way? And I, I did use a pen and paper. I love that. I just know Paul Thomas Anderson is, I don't know if he did it intentionally. Odds are that he didn't, but he's so intuitive that I don't put it past him that he conjured a love of that phrase. That's what I'm talking about. That, that feeling of watching something or, or being entertained or, or whatever by something and thinking more about the way it was made, yeah. just appreciating the way it was made, the thought and care that went into something. That's what impresses me. That's what I enjoy. His stuff really gets me off. You can't really start to analyze the master as you're watching it. And I, I actually adored the experience of watching it because I, I couldn't analyze it. I couldn't say in my head where it was going or how it was done. And it was one of the more uh, pleasurable experiences I had watching a film last year because of that. It was just off the charts. 
Now, are you aware that you can rearrange the letters in Perry Bible Fellowship to get fleshier, wobbly ripple? Uh, that was actually the um, the name of the comic strip that I was going to go with initially. I ended up <laughs> anagramming it to Perry Bible Fellowship. I totally believe you right now. <laughs> it would be in line with the spirit of the strip. I would totally believe it. I mean, I think it is at least believable. Well, who knows? Who knows? That title comes from pretty much nowhere. I feel like any theory is as good as any other. Is that is that true? You just made it out of whole cloth? It comes from virtually nowhere. Um, my buddy Albert, with whom I collaborated on the very first strip with, had a poster in his room for a traveling Christian singing group, and they were <laughs> performing at the Perry Bible Fellowship. And we just thought it was the most funny and beautiful little poster because the family is looking at the camera and just <laughs> beaming three identical smiles. It's, three identical, it's an absurd dead, image. lifeless, bored smiles. Um, yeah, I mean, you could, you could have that take on it. Someone else might find them entirely wholesome, but it, it did have like a weird duality to it. Like it was kind of uncomfortable, and we knew that it was a good name for what we were doing. I only say that because going back to what we were talking about earlier, I've, I, whenever I see a photograph of someone smiling, if they're looking at the camera, I assume the smile's fake. Yeah, it, it doesn't help. It doesn't help to look at the camera ever. They say that smiling, that the physical act of smiling actually helps you know, release endorphins and, and trigger some of the internal chemical and hormonal reactions that make one feel a greater level of happiness. So I don't know if there, if I accept the premise of a fake smile, I think a smile can start fake, but I don't think a smile can perpetuate fakeness. I mean, you could say the same thing about, you could say the same thing about having sex. It triggers chemicals, but you know, nothing (laughs) says it's genuine. If it's happening, you know, he got you there. I think I just got served. Well, I, I, there's just nothing. There's nothing saying that it's still not entirely false but i who can be the judge of these things well when i smile for a photo which i hate doing i usually try to think about something that is happening that is amusing or entertaining in some way i try to get a little bit of a laugh into it so i feel like even my posed bogus smile has some genuineness behind it but given that that's not true for everybody i think i think you're right that you could safely assume that many photograph smiles that are head-on posed pictures are at least of questionable legitimacy there was, uh, I think it was on Zay Frank's show, he had this thing where um, somebody put together a contest, a photo contest, where you were supposed to get your camera ready and take a photograph of somebody, somebody close to you, their reaction right after you finish saying, I love you. Oh, that's beautiful. And the pictures that came out of that were, were amazing. You see these like real, it's not the dead eyes, it's a genuine human reaction. You can't fake that. You can't <laughs> pretend. You, you have to have like some kind of, it's very visceral. It's really cool to see. What a great experiment. Did you have to do it with somebody you loved? Like, could I do it with the mail, the mail delivery person? Mail I bet you might get a really interesting photograph if you did that. <laughs> it would still be just as interesting. Oh, for sure. They'd be engaged. In a different way. Yeah, I would love to see the, uh, the people that weren't expecting love. Isn't that everybody? Oh, um, that got deep. No, I expect love from my children <laughs> and wife. I don't demand it, uh, but I expect it. I am not surprised by its presence. That's. Mm. I envy uh, you. <laughs> Sorry I, if that sounded sad. I've also had a, a recurrent pilonidal cyst that I had to get removed four times. So not everything is great. 
Okay. Well, I guess I guess <laughs> I'm just trying to balance. You take the good and the bad. Yeah, one helps the other. I have a higher risk of skin cancer than most people. Is this that 23 and me thing again? Well, actually, they do not sponsor this episode. Uh, although I still do like them. Dude, um, you are the uh, you are the Apple at Comic Con. <laughs> you are that beautiful experience <laughs> that occurs once, and you're all the more beautiful for it. Thank you. That's what I keep trying to tell everybody, and nobody will listen. I am. No, I, I I got your back. I uh, no, I just. There's I a would lot not of... eat you, Lex. <laughs> Thank you. There are a lot of uh, there's a lot of skin cancer in my family history, and so when I go out in the sun, I don't mind being shirtless. I'm not one of those guys at the pool who's like, I got to keep my shirt on because I don't like my gut or my hairiness or my nipples or whatever it is. I'm happy to take off my shirt, but in the heat of summer, I don't. I wear one of those. I call them my cancer shirts, although really they're the anti-cancer shirts with the SPF built into them. I mm. usually wear the long sleeved ones even on the hot days because it's for me it's safer than sunblock. Like I use a lot of sunblock too, but. I like those shirts because it's extra coverage. See, I I wouldn't do that because of the skin cancer. I would do that because uh, I am just – I've got a gut covered in hairy nipples. <laughs> I've got um something that's making me want to consider a shirt lately is that, like, what was once neck hair is kind of becoming back hair. <laughs> it's, it's, it's encroaching. It's moving down. Well, it's, I think it's crossed the threshold. Wow. Like, it's, it's no longer neck hair. But I mean, um, maybe it's just something I'll adapt to. I do hate that. I'm fortunate, I guess, to not have a ton of body hair. I have, in fact, I have girly arms because they're they're so uh, hair free. But when I see guys who are wearing like a tank top or something, or their their shirt just happens to be their t shirt happens to be like of a lower cut than their normal t shirt is, and you can see that there's a very clear cut line, so that their back hair and their their neck hair aren't the same thing. That freaks me out a little bit. I just assume that those people are bears. I, I, I disapprove of life's requirement that at least for some men, myself included, as you age, you grow hair in more places. Like I was mm-hmm. okay with the puberty hair. I was fine. I was, I'll accept that. But, but I mean the increase in nose, ear, neck and back hair, I, I, none of those things I think are like crazily hairy on me. I'm, I'm not a Robin Williams problem haver, but I don't like its presence. I don't like that I have to deal with it. I don't like that the vast majority of my morning bathroom routine is hair removal at this point. I think that's ridiculous. You should start doing it in the evening. I don't like that someone tells us... I I hate the fact that someone even... I hate that it's in our heads that it's even wrong. I I think of myself as a Viking sometimes and how it would be an honorable thing to have if you were um, on a ship in Finlandia hundreds of years ago, it would be like, yeah, that's great that that's there. But are we so bored and pathetic and miserable that we see back here and we say, oh, I'm, I'm not as I should be. I am not the, the shorn Kendall that would best appear on a magazine cover. I think that's, that's as tragic as anything we've talked about today. Even the Iroquois. Uh, but I will say... While I understand, who don't have hair, incidentally, they, they um, Native Americans actually are spared this. I, I no, they apparently they don't have facial hair, and I think they don't have chest hair either. Like evolutionarily, or they they get rid of it. It was taken from them. No, I think it was it was never needed. Try to find a photo of a bearded Native American, or um, I mean Eskimo. 
Actually, maybe I've seen Eskimos with facial hair, but um, I, I've heard I it said true. that they don't develop facial hair. I, the the thing for me is, while I don't believe in uh, you, you need to conform to any individual societal standards, at the same time, I don't like being up close and personal with my own father-in-law when his nose hair is out of control. He doesn't notice it, which I think is wonderful for him. It doesn't bother him. He doesn't notice it. But when I think about how I could be totally braiding the hair coming out of his nostrils, it makes me a little <laughs> bit uncomfortable. But and where's your mind? Where's your mind that, that you're even thinking about that? Like you and he should probably, you know, evolutionarily speaking, you guys are designed to be um, running through a field or a, erecting a building or uh or or hunting a deer through the forest like in which case you know maybe those nose hairs are going to help him um filter uh dust particles that might be falling on him from running too close or once he climbs the tree uh his young could use his nose hair to climb up there's a lot of good reasons that that nose hair should be there and i think all the bad reasons that it is there come out to play because we live in like a bored world. Maybe this, maybe I'm saying too much here. I don't think you are. I, you've given me a lot to think about as do nose hairs. When, when I'm going through my manscaping routines, it's usually because I have nothing better to do. So you might be right. But I do. I mean, at the same time though, like I don't have any objection to the fact that some men choose to shave their beards, especially since they have to be jealous of the Native Americans who don't even need to because most of them don't grow them. Or, you know, I, I clip my toenails because otherwise it's uncomfortable and I cut my hair because I don't want to I don't want to have to take care of much longer hair. And I I mean, you can get grosser, right? Like I, I, I blow my nose and I clean up after I use the bathroom and that sort of thing. None, these are, Most of these are societal constructs, some of them more on the side of you know, good health and hygiene and some of them more on the side of aesthetics and other things. But I don't think all of them necessarily reflect that we are ashamed of who we are or what we look like. I think some of them, maybe not all of them, but some of them are also just, you know, these are the ways that we feel the most comfortable. Now, I think your question probably is, well, why do they, those things make us more comfortable? But some of them are certainly logistically based. Like I've had long hair and I've had short hair and short hair is so much easier. And I'm very happy to not have the long hair anymore. But you still do something with your hair when you get out of the shower, right? You'll, I, you'll run a comb through it, at least. <laughs> I know. I will run my fingers through it. but okay, Whatever. I understand. There is some thought put into the way that it looks. Yes. And, and that is always going to be an affectation. The decision that you make about which shirt you're going to wear, which shirt you're going to buy, is always going to be an affectation. Uh, I think most of this is based on mating, isn't it? Ideally. <laughs> I've already mated, so I don't even know why I get dressed anymore. Is your brain still tuned? Yeah, maybe you won't get that third or fourth kid. <laughs> it's too late for the third. <laughs> but uh, you might be right about the fourth. Don't encourage him to have more children. <laughs> I want one. You want one of Lex's kids? Uh, maybe a, just, I don't know. I, I don't care who it's from. But um, <laughs> I've just been spending a lot of time with my nephews lately, and I'm feeling the urge lately to reproduce. I, I consciously don't want to reproduce, but I can sense that my body would like to embrace a child and own one. 